Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit that as your scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job, When I heard that you were reading, Cruz, I was like, I don't have to preach. <laughs> Today's the third Sunday of Advent, and as you probably have noticed, the theme is joy. However, our scripture speaks about patience. So I wondered, I wondered, what does joy and patience have, patience have to do with each other? I guess one could say that anticipated joy is waiting for something that is going to bring joy. When I started my sabbatical, my brother and his wife, who we had not seen in close to 10 years, uh, were going to come on a certain date and then it was delayed. And then it looked like it wasn't going to happen. And when finally the paperwork came through and the day arrived that they landed here, uh, there was a sense of joy that was made even the sweeter by waiting for it. Perhaps another connection between patience and joy is when we see it in somebody. Think about that. The qualities of joy and patience in a person is perhaps one of the most attractive combinations of virtues in a person. <laughs> I don't want to be around the Debbie Downers. Sorry if your name is Debbie. <laughs> I want to be with the kind of people who are not only joyous, not only has the joy of Christ in them, but has the forbearance, which is the NRSV rendition of the scripture that Cruz just led. And forbearance means this. It means tolerance and a refusal to act out. <laughs> I want to be around the kind of people who both hold a deep joy within their countenance, spirit, actions, and interactions, and has the forbearance to live well in relationship 
with others. Question. Can you think of somebody that holds these virtues together? Somebody in your life that demonstrates both joy and patience. Somebody that models for us what it means to live as God intends for us to live in a world that is growingly anxious and impatient. Can you imagine what a church would look like when its defining virtues are joy and patience with one another? Woo! No amens? Can you imagine what a church community will look like? The answer is yes, Stu, because we are that church. But anyway, I'll keep going. Can you imagine what your life and a community of faith looks like that is less defined by anxiety and impatience and more rooted in a deep joy that comes from God Himself and a willingness to bear well with one another. How do we access joy before I talk about the text? I have six minutes left. (laughs) Forbearance of, you know, learning how to live well with others. Thanks, Bob, for reminding me of what I'm preaching. Do you know that according to the Bible, joy and patience are fruits of God's Spirit? In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit, contrary to the fruit of the flesh, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did you know that the word joy is very sparse throughout the Bible? In fact, it is very, very sparse, in particular in the Old Testament. One of the reasons a commentator told me, or at least informed me, that the word joy is so sparse in the Old Testament is because most of the Bible is written after humanity has left the Garden of Eden, and most of the Bible tells a story of a people who pushed away from the presence of God. In fact, the Bible will reveal that the people of God, and joy in particular, shows up most in their midst when they were celebrating their feast in the presence of God. The Old Testament makes the point that Jesus will also make and that the psalmist makes so powerfully that in His presence there is fullness of joy. In fact, I would say that the absence of Christian joy, Christ-like joy, the gift of joy, directly correlates to the distance we put between ourselves and God. That if it is a gift of God's Holy Spirit, joy is first and foremost derived from those who discern the presence of God in their lives and in their community, and in this season, draws close to Him in worship and in praise.
How do we access joy? There's many ways we can, of course. Our families, our relationships, our successes, uh, meaning and purpose, accomplishment, answers to prayer. <laughs> there are so many things that, that, that we have to recognize God has blessed us with and is a cause for joy. But what I would just like to suggest to you, that if you want to live more in joy than in anxiety and want and despair, draw close to the Lord. Do you know one of the ways we do that corporately at Skyview is very simple. We come together like this. If it is true that the Israelites most experienced the joy of God when they were in worship at their feast, then perhaps it's true that when the church gathers like we do here, that we are drawing close to the giver of joy. And the one who gives us joy, he is the one that enables us to live with a lasting joy even when it is hard to smile. So, I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask them, do you think I have joy? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't want conflict. But I want you to ask you a simple question. In a world that is looking at the church and saying, man, they, 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 they profess this faith in the one who saves and liberates, but they look like someone stole their lunch. They live as if there is more to fear than more to hope for. What would it mean in the season of Advent, to draw close to the Lord and to experience that which only He can give. In fact, the psalmist would also articulate for us that God inhabits and dwells the praises of His people. And I couldn't help but think that when I come on a Sunday, I, I have lots to do. I, I have to make sure I know what I'm going to preach on. And all God's people says, amen. I don't want to be pointless. I have much to be concerned about. I have to coordinate with certain people, and we have amazing people doing great work here every Sunday. By the way, you know, whenever, whenever somebody says something good about our church, which happens more than people saying negative things, that's also another amen you can, can give. I always say, it's not about a person or a pastor. It is about the people. Some of the most, the strongest Christians that have made the most impression on my life has made it not because their joy was circumstantial. It was not because they had everything in life. It was not because every prayer had already been answered. It was not because they had the perfect home life or marriage. It was not because they had received the advancement in career. It was not because they met the perfect guy or girl. It has been because they met 
regularly with the giver of joy. Listen, nothing complex about what I want to say to you. Just this. The absence of joy that comes from God in our life is not a refusal of God to give us that, but it is our unwillingness to spend time in His presence. Beginning my day in the morning, very simple, with prayer and listening, and ending my day in thanksgiving, this is what holds me when life takes a turn. This is what enables me to raise my hands in worship and to proclaim the goodness of God. For my joy does not come from my circumstance, it comes from God Himself. James. There's a good James right here. James must be good people. Did you know that according to the historian Eusebius, uh, James was the last book to be added to our Bible, to the canon. Did you know that? Do you know why? The primary reason why James was the last book to be added to the canon of the Scripture we now have and which we call the Bible is because the canon selection committee, if we may call them that, struggled with how, how weird James was about faith that has action. In fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer, called the epistle of James the epistle of straws. Because for many, they could not understand that if Jesus saves us, and we are not saved by what we do on no account of our own actions, why would James basically say that you can have all the faith in a saving Christ, but if you have no accompanying actions to reveal that faith, they kind of struggle. They said, James, I think you're saying, you're saying that we're saved by what we do. Let me just put it to you this way. James makes this point that we do not work for our salvation. No amount of work or effort of praying, of sharing our resources, of caring for other people can give us what Jesus gives us freely. But this is what James would say, but when you receive such grace, you cannot live in any other way, but become the very embodiment of such grace in your world. Don't speak to James about having a cognitive assent, intellectual belief in God and in the saving grace of Jesus Christ without any evidence in your life that bears witness to such a faith. For it is not everyone who says that they follow Jesus, that actually follows Him. And so, James offers us an answer to a second question. The first was, how do we access joy by drawing near to the Lord who draws near to us? James' question is, how do we learn to wait well until the Lord returns? 
Do you know that most of Christianity is about learning how to wait? If you're an impatient person, you're going to have a real hard time with Jesus. It seems that God is less concerned from the beginning to the end with giving humanity what they want when they most feel they need it. When you study the Bible carefully, do you realize how many times the men and women of faith in Scripture had to learn the spiritual virtue which we seem to have forgotten? Is to wait on the Lord. Uh, I've been told that dating apps now, you can swipe left or right. Do I have that right? Don't like that? I know this for a fact. Amazon allows me to have same-day delivery. What magic is this? If we just have to wait just even a little bit for something that we feel we need now. Do, do you know that how culture shapes us in non-Christian ways? Uh, the economy that we all participate in and should participate in well has this implicit kind of value that says, if you want something, you don't have to wait for it. Just get a credit card. If, if, if you're waiting, you're not being honored. If you're waiting, you're missing out. You know what James says? James is speaking to diaspora Jewish Christians at a time where their culture was not upholding any of the Christian values, and at a time where the rich was oppressing the poor, and at a time where the problems were not just external but internal in the church. And here's what he says. He doesn't jump in with a conflict resolution strategy. He doesn't jump in with a, a sense of, hey, 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 I know how to fix this. He jumps in by saying, learn to wait, to forbear, to become patient. Why? Because the Lord is coming. Do you know that in the early church, they really anticipated the Lord in their day? If you read the New Testament, you will get the sense of urgency. They felt that Jesus was coming back tomorrow. 2,000 years removed from what we see in the Bible, we have now learned that the nearness of God does not necessarily mean the chronology of humankind, but it means this, that God in Emmanuel Christ and the giving of the Spirit is not only anticipated one day, but it is present with us today. So we do not wait with the sense that we wait without God's presence in our lives and in our relationships. Hence the fact that we can learn to be patient with one another because the spirit that is given as comforter, advocate, and help enables us to wait, to wait on the difficult circumstances, to wait through the hard times, to wait through pandemics, to wait through the difficult, dark seasons of life. The Spirit of God that is Emmanuel, that is with us, enables the church to wait in all seasons of life. And this is a season to learn, to wait on the Lord. 
we have a, a child who shall remain unnamed. And I close. I know I'm past eight minutes. He, from a young age, <laughs> they, from a young age, <laughs> have taught us the value <laughs> and the patience of waiting. A friend of mine I met many years ago told of his son who he said never really connected well with the kids in school. He said they were concerned, especially middle school. You know, no one graduates middle school, graduates high school and goes, the best years of my life was middle school. It's that awkward, hard time. If you're a middle schooler, I pray God give you grace. And he said, uh, but every morning he would walk with his son, taking him to class because he says his son just didn't get anything done fast. By show of hands, who's like the son? Okay, by show of hands, who's like the dad with impatience? And he said this, he says, as they walked together, his son would stop at every crack on the sidewalk. Study it. Oh, look, there's ants. <laughs> he said his son slowed him down to the point of such frustration that he had to pray deeply for this gift of patience. Brilliant people raise brilliant children, I think, and so the son came home from school one day and he said, Dad, I joined a club. His dad said, that's fantastic. You know, I just want to say this, and this is quite serious. There are many kids in schools that are exceptionally lonely. That no one pays attention to. Say to our kids that are here, if you are a kid that knows a lot of kids, and if you're a kid that kind of don't struggle with fitting in, I want to encourage you to look for the ones who struggle to fit in. If you're a kid that struggles to fit in, I pray that you would find at least one good friend. You know what I found? You don't need a ton of friends. You just need one good friend. But anyway, he said to his dad, I joined the club. His dad says, what is, the, what is this club? Thinking chess, because this kid's brilliant. He says, I joined the slow club. <laughs> said, uh-oh. Not the direction I want my kid to go in. And as I'm telling this, as he's telling me this story, I said, I thought, that's pretty bad. He says, slow club, what? He says, Dad, right now, I started the club. <laughs> There's not really a lot of people in it yet. But I want to invite you to be a part of the slow club. And... Uh, as my friend talked to us about his own journey of learning how his son has slowed him down, he began to recognize that in learning to walk slowly with the Lord, we are able to discern the goodness of God. 
Waiting is a gift when it is not about inactivity, but attentiveness to the presence of God. And may in this season, whatever makes you anxious and makes you feel like you should run, be turned over to God's grace so that you may slow down enough to discern His presence. The cure for anxiety, and I'm not just speaking majority of year of clinical or anything like that, but the cure for the anxiety that most of us carry day to day comes from learning to spend time in the presence of God, and in doing so, one must never hurry. Perhaps you and I will start to experience joy that shows up on our face, not only in worship, but in our relationships, in our workplaces, and with those people who are hard to get along with. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word that given to given through James to us a word of learning how to wait well upon you. May your spirit birth within those of us who are particularly anxious a deep sense of trust so that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.